Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. All of us, no matter where you are in life, ultimately think about the thought I want you to dwell on today. I didn't think a whole lot about it till I became the age that I am right now. I am 63 years old. I know I look 43. Thank you very much. Who said amen? You have a lifetime membership into this church. And when you start getting older, you, you get to that kind of the crossing point in your life where you realize that more of your life is behind you than in front of you. And at 63, I don't think I'm going to live to be 126. So I recognize that the majority of my life is now behind me. When you're young, you start thinking about, what am I good at? Then then you start thinking about, can, can I make a living doing that? And then you start thinking about, how can I provide for my family and take care of them for their future? And then... And then you get to the place where you start wondering, what are people going to say about me when I'm gone? That's called your legacy. My dear friend, Pastor Chris Hodges, and next month we're going to do a series on legacy, says that legacy is a future without you still influenced by you. It's a future without you. You're gone. But you are still influencing the future by the influence of what God did through your life. Those of you who had good parents, you know. You went and you introduced yourself or you bought something in a store or you met a new neighbor and you gave them your last name and they said, hold it. Is your mom and daddy? And then they called their name. You said, yes. And they went, your daddy was a good man. I knew your daddy. Your mama was a wonderful woman. I I knew your mama. I knew a lot about your mama. And you realize that even though your mom and dad or your mama and papa are gone, they are still influencing the future and your life, even though they're gone. So let me just ask you some questions, just some obvious questions. How many of you want to leave a great legacy for your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren? Okay, how many of you want to... Leave a legacy of your Christian values and morality. Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you want to be married to the same person you're married to now? Okay, we're going to put everybody else under the blood, all right? <laughs> I don't know if how many of you married to T, T. Boudreaux before, but T, 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 double T, triple T, whatever he was or she was. But, but you want to leave that kind of a legacy for your children. You want it to be intact, wherever it is right now. How many of you want to leave that? Yeah. Okay. Now, how many of you know that that won't happen by accident? Yeah. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of people that would like to do that. They have the best of intentions and the best wishes. But can I tell you this? It isn't the best intentions that lead you where you want to go. Someone said a dream without plans and purposes and priorities is only a wish. You never end up in life where you wish you would be. You end up in life where your priorities and choices drop you off. 
In other words, you can get on I-10 and wish that you were going to end up in Destin, Florida, but if you're headed towards Houston and you're passing up Crowley and you're passing up Lake Charles and you're going over that bridge that should have been changed 50 years ago, okay, and then you're going through sulfur and you're smelling all that nasty smoke, holding your breath, rolling up the windows, trying to get through there. And then you go through Vinton and Biter and you cross where, where crawfish go from being crawfish to being craw dead. That's the Sabine River. That's where they cross over right there. And then you go over to Orange and then you go over to Beaumont. I don't care how much you wish you would end up in Destin, Florida. You're going the wrong direction. And the best of intentions won't lead you and the best wishes won't land you in Florida. Along the road of life, there's something called mile markers. How many of you know what a mile marker is? So that if you break down on the highway and, and, and you, you call them and say, I need some help. You say, where are you going? I'm on I-10. And you go, well, that runs from Florida to California. What part of I-10 are you on? And you say, I'm on mile marker number 43. Life is filled each week, each month, each year, each day with mile markers. And the choices you make and the priorities that you make are mile markers that ultimately determine your end and the legacy that you're going to leave for your family. So let me ask you again. How many of you want to finish strong, finish with your godly values intact, finish with your wife, your children, your grandchildren being proud of you? Come on. How many of you want that? Raise your hand. Then today I want to help you do that. Someone said, if you want to travel fast, travel alone. But if you want to travel far, you got to travel together. So let me ask you, do you want to travel fast or do you want to travel far? Today, I want to teach you how to do that. For an amazing story in the Word of God. Because to travel far, you have to travel together. To travel far, you have to travel together. To travel far, you have to travel together. You have to travel together. Now, there's some of you that are here that have overcome great obstacles. Maybe your daddy was an alcoholic. Maybe you were raised poor. Maybe you're the first person to graduate from high school in your family. I was. First person in my whole family to graduate from high school. Maybe you're the first person to graduate from college or to start a business or, or to, to, to own their own home and property. Well, whatever it is, you began that with the dream of what you might do. And sometimes when you overcome great obstacles in your life, you start thinking, I can do this. Pastor, I got this. I mean, I've slain some giants on my own. I mean, my daddy was an alcoholic and I'm not. My parents were divorced and I'm married. And my parents came from poverty and I'm doing something with myself and leaving an inheritance for my children and children's children. But can I tell you this? Even giant killers need help if they're going to leave the kind of legacy that you all said today that you want to leave. Today, when I talk about giant killers. Most of us as Christians, when we think of giant killers, there's one name that pops into our mind. Who is that? David. And who did he kill? Goliath. And where was Goliath from? Anybody remember? He was Philistines and he was from a city called Gath. He was called Goliath of Gath. And he was 
a Philistine. Today in our story that we're about to pick up, we pick up David's life at a very vulnerable moment. You see, when we read the story of David, most of us read the story in three or four pages and and you read, David was a shepherd boy. He was good with the slingshot. He went to the slingshot skeet range. He killed bears. He killed lions. He killed armadillos. He could even kill a rabbit on the run, okay? And then one day he was bringing his lunch to his brothers and they were in the battlefield and, and he saw Goliath of Gath come down. He was nine feet tall. His coat weighed up 80 pounds and, and he started screaming at the people and nobody would do anything. And, and he went down and he took a slingshot and he was so small that Goliath had to take his helmet up like this to even see him. And when he did, it gave David that perfect shot that he wanted that he'd hit so many times. And he knocks him out and then he picks up his sword. And what does he do? He cuts his head off and he goes marching up out of the valley and he has Goliath's head. He has his armor and his sword and he's dragging it up 14, 15 years old. I mean, what a great day, huh? But what you don't realize is he doesn't become the king for 15 more years. Even when the prophet comes and prays over him and and tells him that he's the next king. For the next 15 years, Saul goes through this love and hate relationship, the king, even though David is now his son-in-law. That's one of the prizes he got for killing Goliath is he got the king's daughter. And and he goes through this period of of hating him because he knows he's going to be the next king. And King Saul wants his son Jonathan to be the king instead. So actually, think about it. He kills Goliath at 15, yet he never becomes the king until he's 30 years old. We were singing that song, I will sing, I will hold on to the promises that God is faithful, that he's true. Imagine God putting something in your heart and then for 15 years, people trying to kill you because it was true and you not seeing come to pass until half of your life from that time that you heard it. That's what happened to David. And then David built what was the greatest kingdom in all of Israel. As a matter of fact, today, Israel is the perimeters almost of which God gave David during that time thousands of years ago. David did such an amazing job that Jesus himself would be known by the fact that he was related as a descendant of David. When someone actually knew who Jesus was, they would say, Jesus, son of? It meant descendant of David. So now David at 30 years old, becomes the king. He expands it. He expands the region. God blesses him. He prospers him. And now he's not known as the little shepherd boy. He's known as the greatest king that ever was. Today's story we pick up, he's in his late 60s. He's in his late 60s. He's prosperous. He's blessed in every way. And here is where we pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 15. And when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David and his servants with him went down and fought against who? The Philistines. And David grew faint. Then Ishbabinab, how'd you like that to be your name? He got beat up from first grade all the way through. Then Ishbabinab, who was one of the sons of the who? who? Who do you think that's making reference to? Goliath. 
He was either a son of Goliath or a grandson of Goliath. One of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, was bearing a what? Who had Goliath's sword? David did. Thought that he could kill David. But, what's his name? Abishai. But, Abishai, the son of Zeruah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Now, in 2 Samuel 23, 18, if you're taking notes, or you can listen to this and go back and read it later, it tells us who Abishai was. When David was on the run for those 15 years before he became king, some men surrounded him. There were 30 mighty men who were amazing warriors. You ought to go back and read in 2 Chronicles all of their exploits of what they did. But out of those 30, there were three that were chief, and the greatest one of all of them was named Abishai. He was actually David's nephew because Zeruah was David's sister. He was the one that came and killed the giant. Let's read what the message translation says. 2 Samuel 21. War broke out again between the Philistines and Israel, and David and his men went down to fight. And David became exhausted. Let me just stop a moment. Pastor Don asked earlier, how many of you were weary of fighting? How many of you were weary of battling? How many of you are exhausted from the news? How many of you are exhausted from COVID? How many of you are exhausted hearing about the election? How many of you are exhausted hearing about the divisiveness of every white supremacies, BLM? How many of you are just tired of it all? Now, how about this one? How many of you are tired of COVID? I mean, COVID is now the excuse for everything. Why are you late to work? COVID. Why are you not having school? COVID. Why, why are your truck ready? COVID. Why'd you make a F? COVID. Why'd you fight with your wife? COVID. COVID is now a code name for the devil. Anything the devil did, it was COVID. I am exhausted of it. You are exhausted of it. When I talk to people all across the country, do you realize that in the last 12 months, 90,000 people have taken their life or OD'd? Do you know why? They're exhausted. I read a study the other day that said in the last 12 months, 30% of Americans have become obese. Why? They're exhausted. They're just exhausted. He became exhausted. Ishbenibab, a warrior, descendant of Rapha, with the spear wearing nearly eight pounds, outfitted in a brand new armor, announced what? What would he do? How many of you know the enemies announced what he wants to do for you? He wants to steal and, and, and destroy. But Abishai, the son of Zeruah, came to the what? Rescue and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him saying, no more fighting on the front lines for you, Pawpaw. We can't snuff out the lamp of Israel. Wow, think of it. Think of the headlines had Abishai not been there. Descendant of Goliath kills King David. You know what this tells me? 
that even giant killers need to be rescued sometimes. That no matter how strong you are, even giant killers cannot do life alone. There are giants in life that want to take you out. Lust, alcohol, adultery, depression, anxiety, fear. There are giants that have defeated your parents and my parents along the way. My daddy was married five times. My mother two times. Man, she married my daddy was married seven times. Immorality runs generationally through my family. Addiction runs generationally through my family. Depression runs generationally through my family. Many of you have giants that the enemy has used against your family. Listen carefully. No matter how strong you are, if you do life alone, one day you will be defeated. Do you know what the headlines would have read if Abishai had not been there? David alone, David dead. Today's message is a challenge. It's a challenge for you to get connected in relationships. Part of the practical next steps of that is a small group. But it's so much more and so much more important than that. And it's a biblical principle woven throughout the Old Testament all the way through to the New Testament. I told you David was 14 when he became the king. That he was 14 when he killed Goliath. That that when he became the king, he was 30. And that all of this happened much later in life. So let me ask you, what does this story teach us? What does God say to us through this story? No matter who you are, no matter where you are, what is these principles that we get? Here they are. Number one, even giant killers get weary. I don't care how, how strong you are. I don't care what you came back from. I don't care how much money you have in the bank. I don't care who you know. The moment is going to come when you will become weary and exhausted. When did the enemy come after David? When he was weary and exhausted. When did the enemy come after Jesus in the wilderness? It was 40 days fasting and praying. And at the end of 40 days, he was hungry. And the enemy came and then he came to tempt him. So watch this. If you're exhausted now, you said that in the beginning. If the enemy came after David when he was exhausted, if the enemy came after Jesus when he was exhausted, when is he going to come after you? When you're exhausted. There's a term in addiction called halt. Say it with me, halt. H-A-L-T. And do you know what that stands for? Hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. What do you do when you're hungry? When you're, how many ever get hangry? Come on, you get hangry. I need to eat. I'm hangry. For every one of us, regardless of where you are, there's a time going to be in your life when you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, and when you're tired. And the enemy came after David then, he came after Jesus then, and he's coming after you then. And that's why he is winning in so many people's world right now. That's why he's winning in so many people's world. So pastor, what do I need to do when I'm that way? Well, what do you do now? Well, pastor, I just eat bluebell. 
Oh, that's what a lot of people do. When you get there, porn addicts go back to porn. Alcoholics go back to alcohol. Rageaholics go back to rage. Workaholics go back to work. People in depression, anxiety, all of that kicks in at those moments. What do I need to do? Here's the first thing you need to do. You need to have a connection with a friend that can help you. Look at me. You're only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. How many have ever been surprised by something somebody you love did? You go, they did what? They, they, they said what? They were looking at what? They drank what? They took what? I did a funeral the other day, one of the saddest funerals. As a matter of fact, thank God there hasn't been one in the last three weeks, but for a 10-week period in eight weeks, our church was a part of doing an overdose. Someone who died from drugs. The last one I did, it was a 31-year-old young man who'd been sober for four years. And he went off to the Dustin Poirier fight. Drove from there with a friend or drove somewhere to, to look at a business deal. They found him dead in his car. When I was doing the funeral at the end, a, a guy came walking in that I knew. And I said, why are you here? Did you, did you know this guy? He said, I did. He said, as a matter of fact, he was in a recovery group that I laid. He said, you know why I died? I said, well, yeah, he OD'd. He goes, no, he died because he had a secret. You can't live with secret sins inside of you without them one day coming out. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another that you might be healed. We confess our sin to God for forgiveness, but we confess it to somebody else to get help. Let me prove this to you. How many of you know some people that got issues? How many of you would like to tell them how you could help them or they could get help? Well, why don't you tell them? You know why? You know why you don't tell them? Because you don't think they'll receive it. But if they come to you and go, man, man, I've really been struggling with drinking. You go, thank you. I've been wanting to tell you, man, you, you are ruining your testimony. You're ruining your family. Man, you're going to mess yourself up. You're going to get in a car one day. Your kids are going to take after you. You're going to lose everything you have. Do you know why you can say something then? Because when they confess it, it gives you permission to address it. When they confess it. That's why the Bible says, confess your faults one to another so that you can be healed. Today, you need to know that even giant killers grow weary. And the time is going to come where you're going to be alone. You need somebody. You need spiritual community. You need somebody walking with you. You need an Abishai in your life. And our goal in small groups is to bring those type of people into your life so you can make it at those moments. Here's the second thing you need to do. You need to be in this word every day. This book will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from this book. Every day when you and I wake up, we are spiritually empty. The Bible makes this very plain. And people are confused about this. Some people go, oh, you know, I got my neighbor. He's just such a good man. 
Is he a Christian? No, but he's a good man. Listen carefully to me. The Bible teaches that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked and that no one can know the heart but God himself. Do you know why you get shocked when somebody did something you couldn't imagine they would do? Because everyone's heart is naturally fallen and dark. And every day I get up and I'm empty. And I need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I need this word to feed me. Or else what's in here will come out later. A guy told me one time when I was the chaplain for the saints. I said, man, you're right next to Ricky Williams' locker. I mean, what's going on with Ricky? It's a guy that I led to the Lord. He goes, pastor, my name's Bennett and I ain't in it. I said, what does that mean? He said, my name's Bennett, and I ain't in it. I said, what does that mean? He goes, Pastor, I don't want anybody in my business, and I don't want to be anybody else's business. And I got on to him. And he looked at me, he goes, Pastor, why are you always in my business? I said, because according to this book, I'm your pastor, and your business is my business. And if I don't know your business, one day all of Louisiana is going to know your business. Everybody will know your business. We can't do it alone. We need people in our lives. We need people in our lives. What else should I do? When I get in that word, when I pray, when I meet God, what else do I need to do? Sometimes we just need to rest. Sometimes you don't need to pray. Sometimes you just need to sleep. Sometimes you need two or three days off. Sometimes you literally need to rest. All the prayer in the world won't replace resting, and all the resting in the world won't replace praying. You need them both. You need to take care of the temple of the Holy Ghost. My spiritual mentor, Leonard Ravenhill, said this, We all fall into different sins, but we all fall from the same place, the secret place. The hidden areas of our life must be developed spiritually so that we can stand. It's a principle called hidden and exposed. I call it the Bill Clinton, Mother Teresa principle. You know what happened to Bill Clinton? Who he was privately got exposed publicly. He became a notorious sinner. You know what happened to Mother Teresa? Who she was privately got exposed publicly and she became a saint. Your legacy is going to be ultimately what you've done in private will one day be shouted from the rooftops. That's what the scripture teaches. You want good things to be said about you? It's easy. Develop your secret life so that when people start talking, they got something to talk about. Even giant killers can grow weary. Hey, maybe you're married. How many are you married? Can I tell you what you need to do? Look right here. Look right here. Enjoy your mate. Isn't it amazing before you're married how easy romance is? Oh, we've been calling each other. I fell asleep on the phone. Hey, this, I'm going old school. This is before DMing. This is before Instagram. This is before TikTok, MySpace, space, that space. This is back like when you were just like talking on the phone. Are you there? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm there. I'm there. How many remember those days? Raise your hand. I'm going to go real old. How many remember writing letters? Okay. Do you know what? Isn't it amazing how before you're married, how easy romance is? The work then is to live pure. You and the work is after you get married is to be romantic. We are filled in a lust-filled world. 
And if you don't direct your affections, the Bible says set your affections. And if you don't set them and focus them on your mate, the enemy will set you up for a fall. I've never met a man yet that got too in trouble for having too much romance with his wife or vice versa. But I sure have counseled thousands of the others. I'm preaching better than you're responding, but I'm still real confident in what I'm saying. Here's the second thing you need to know. Even giant killers get defeated if they do life alone. The only thing that I can consistently and successfully do alone is fail. The only thing I can consistently and successfully do alone is fail. To consistently walk alone is to consistently walk defeated. David's greatest failure came when he was alone. He should have been on the battlefield, but you know what he did? He stayed home and he was looking off the rooftop and he saw a naked woman bathing named Bathsheba and it became the greatest failure of his life. Abishai was not there. Joab was not there. His commanders and friends weren't there. He was alone. Remember, you're only as sick as your secrets. He had a secret and he paid for it generationally. Today, you and I, Cannot walk alone. Only weak people think they're strong enough to walk alone. Number three, even though you've defeated a giant in the past, it can still come back into the future. Just because David had killed the Philistine didn't mean he'd come back. What are the giants of your past? Do you know yours? My wife and I have gone through a ministry called RTF, Restoring the Foundations. It's about Two or three years of counseling in a week. And you fill out these sheets that are about this thick. And it tells you, you check off all the different things in your generation. Like alcohol, immorality, you know, just witchcraft, you know, bitterness, anger, addiction. Drug, like, I, it's like 50 things on each page and there's like 10 pages. You know what I did when I saw that? I put a big check all across the front. I X'd off Jehovah's Witnesses. That was the only thing that went in my family. Everything else was there. Because I wanted to get all of this out of my life. My great-grandfather ran off with Pancho Villa and abandoned his family in Mexico. My grandfather was immoral until the last five years of his life when he got saved. My father married five times until he was 70 years old and got saved. Everybody in my family, sisters, four of them, pregnant, 13, 14, and 15, brother, immorality. Look, I know what kind of giants have slain all the Aransas all the way back to Mexico. Do you know yours? Do you know yours? How many of you come from an alcoholic background? Come on, mama, daddy, raise your hand up. Papa, mama, huh? How many come from uh, depression and anxiety? Come on. How many of you, there's, there's suicide and, and overdoses? Okay, look, that's almost everybody here. You say, Pastor, why do I need to know that? Because those are the giants that the enemy is going to try to come back and send to me. And remember this, look right here. All of us are only one step away from stupid. How many of you know you're only one step away from stupid? Those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're still stupid now. That's why you're there. You didn't raise your hand because you're there right now. 
We're all one step away from that. And that should put an amazing degree of humility. As a matter of fact, I believe your greatest strength is knowing your greatest weakness. I believe your greatest strength is knowing your greatest weakness. You know, there are people that go, well, you know, Pastor, I mean, everybody I know drinks. There's nothing wrong with it. People ask me all the time, Pastor, didn't Jesus turn water into wine? I go, yeah. They go, don't you drink wine? I go, no. They go, why? Because everybody in my family is an alcoholic, and I'm one step away from stupid, and my greatest strength is knowing my greatest weakness. People laugh at me because I I watch R-rated movies. I watch one R-rated movie that I can remember, The Passion of the Christ. That was R-rated because of the, 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 the violent scenes of death of Jesus' crucifixion. People go, Pastor, don't you think that's old fashioned? No. For me, that's an old giant. That's not old fashioned. That's an old giant. I can't hear that. I can't see that. I know what is in here. I know within me dwells no good thing. And every day I got to get on my face before God with this and with this right here. Or that old giant will manifest and come back. And I will be slain by a giant that killed my daddy and my grandfather and my great-grandfather. And it didn't take their soul, but it robbed them of their destiny and their purpose of God in their life. It robbed them of their legacy. Even though you've defeated a giant in the past, it can still come back. Here's the fourth thing. Even giant killers must choose their friends when they are strong to help them when they are weak. Look right here. Suppose David had never allowed Abishai to get close to him. Suppose he was too proud to say, I need to be rescued. Suppose Abishai would have stepped up and he would have said, oh no, Abishai, I got this one. I can do it. I've killed my own giants. Had that been the case, David's life would have had an entirely different ending. Do you know what the name Abishai means? In the Hebrew, it means a gift from the Father. When God sends you a Christian friend to walk with you, to pray with you, to stand with you, that is a gift from God. You say, Pastor, well, I don't don't like all this people all up over me. Look at me. How many of you ever prayed for help? Raise your hand. I know everybody. How many of you ever prayed for help? Okay. Who do you think God is going to send to help? An angel via UPS? (laughs) Hey, you've been praying? Here's what Brown can do for you. My name is Julio. I'm a Mexican angel. Que pasó? Do you know who God is going to send to help you when you pray for help? He's going to send someone wrapped in flesh and blood. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Why can't God just help me by himself? Because when he wanted to save the world, he sent it in flesh and blood. So when he wanted to save the world, he sent it in flesh and blood. How in the world do you, he's going to put a Christian in your group. He's going to put somebody in your church. He's going to put somebody to walk with you when you go, my husband is just, let me tell you, I'm sick of it. They go, girl, shut up. You want to be like your old grandmother? Three teeth and four husbands? Get back there. And if that's yours, I don't know. I'm just saying that off the top of my head. Do you know what Ishbenibab means? Abishai means a gift from the Father. Ishbenibab means taking captive. Let me give you a sobering truth. You can choose your friends, but you don't choose your giants. 
They were born long before you ever came, just like mine were in my family generation long before I came. And you may not choose to receive Abishai when God sends him, but you don't get to decide whether you choose the giant or not. He's coming whether you prepared for him, whether it's an Abishai in your life or not. He's still coming. He's still coming. And people often, when they fall, <laughs> you'll hear people say something like this. Well, pastor, it was... It was it was like the, the perfect storm. What do you mean? Well, like I was by myself and I was like on a business trip and, and there was this good looking woman there or, you know, I was up at night and I was just going through my computer or, you know, I was just really angry and I knew if they said one more thing to me that I was going to go off on them. Look at me. It's not the perfect storm. It's a predictable storm. Let me ask you a question. How many of you prayed that we would have hurricanes this year? If you did, you are officially kicked out of this church. Okay. How many of you prayed that we would have a hurricane last year? How many of you prayed that we'd have the flood of 2016 destroy 28,000 homes in Acadiana? None of you did. But you know what? You may not have prayed for them, but if you didn't prepare for them, storms come whether you pray for them or not. And you don't get to choose where the storms come, but if you do this right and you don't do life alone and you prepare to travel far, you can choose who walks with you through the storms in advance. Pastor Don and I have walked through 20 years of storms together. Pastor Eugene and I have walked through 35 years of storms together. Pastor Paul and I have walked for 40 years of storms together. I didn't get to choose any of the storms. I didn't choose any of the storms. But I did choose who was going to walk with me through them. You know, after Katrina came, they put a new standard of building. They put a new standard of building. Now, maximum sustained winds of 150 miles is the measure on how they build. And you know what's amazing? Even in Grand Isle, I have friends that have condominiums in Grand Isle. And do you know that some of them, they have leaks in their houses, but the entire house stood because they built it after those things were enforced. And when everybody else lost everything else, because they built for 150 mile an hour winds, they stood. Listen to me. My family's too important for me not to build for 150 mile an hour winds. My children are too important for me not to build for 150 mile an hour wind. My legacy is too important. My legacy is too important for me to fall morally at this season of my life. For me to steal. For me to do something that would bring dishonor to God, me, my family, you, Pastor Don. 
you don't build for sunshine, you build for storms. You can build alone if you don't want to last. But you can't build alone if you're building for legacy. I want to leave a godly legacy. I want my children to say, let me tell you about my daddy. You know Pastor Jacob? My daddy's a man of God. I don't remember waking up when my daddy hadn't prayed for me. I don't remember going to bed when I was a child. My daddy wasn't praying for me almost nights. My daddy didn't live one way at church and another way at home. Look at me. You get to decide that right now by the mile markers that you place in your life. By how much of this word you fill yourself with every day. And how desperately dependent you are upon the living God. To know that your heart is wicked and must be washed and renewed. And that you need other people in your life and you can't do it alone. I want to leave a legacy, don't you? I want to leave a godly heritage, don't you? I have teenagers. Matter of fact, a historic event happened to me last Tuesday. I'll share with y'all. My daughter, who's 20, left to go to Houston. You know, we have an African-American daughter we adopted from St. Martinville when she was four and a half years old, Amberly Grace. I always say her mama wanted her and I needed her. And when she left our house to go work at my son's church in Tomball, Texas, right outside of Houston, look at me. It's the first time in 38 years we've not had a child in our house. You say, Pastor, how did it feel, honestly? People go, do you have empty house syndrome? Look, I got, it's me and mama syndrome. (laughs) Can, Can I tell you this? The message and the legacy that Michelle and I have lived is now all walked out the house. There's nothing else I can say. My legacy is now on legs. Her legacy is now on legs. So would yours be one day. You can't do it right alone. I'm 63 years old. I got a pastor that comes and stays in my house two or three times a year for three days at a time. And you know how he begins his time? On the couch with Michelle going, how's Jacob doing? How's he treating you? Is there anything I need to know? So the week before he comes, I'm the best husband you have ever met. And that's not true. You say, Pastor, you're you're 63. You're the pastor of some churches. You pastor pastors. I still need that in my life. Pastor Don's part of our directional team. That helped lead our pastors. Do you know 50% of what I want to do, they go no to? Every one of us needs someone who knows us that can say N-O to us. Who can say N-O to you?
Can I tell you how safe your marriage is? Look right here, man. If your wife was concerned about you, who would she pick up the phone and call that you would listen to? If you don't immediately know the answer to that question, then you're one exhausted moment away from your legacy being lost. Yeah. My pastor was here recently, led me to the Lord when I was 14 years old, ministering to our staff. I was talking to one of our pastors the other day, and he, I said, how do I act when Pastor Key's here? He said, like you're 14 years old. He treats you like a child, like a kid. I said, he does. But before I could ever learn how to be a father, I had to learn how to be a son. He showed me how to be a husband and a father and a man by first teaching me how to be a son. I'm 63, but I'm still a son. I'm still a son. You can't do it alone. Everybody here needs to go to a freedom group. If you've not been through freedom, you need to join a freedom group. Every person here needs to go through a freedom group. Look, again, my wife and I have been through that intensified by a hundred two or three times. Why? Because I need it worse than anybody. I need it worse than anybody. Father, today I thank you for the precious people that are here. I thank you for the enormous trust they placed. Pastor Don, this amazing team, Michelle and I, Pastor Paul, Lynn, You've given us a responsibility to reach this region. But the first responsibility you've given us is to equip the people of this house to live the godly life, the overcoming life successfully as men and women of God. For every marriage to be whole, for every family to be secure. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. I pray in the name of Jesus for every family and every home. I pray for every single mama. I pray for every single person, male or female here, regardless of the mistakes of the past. I thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes those things away and empowers us to leave a legacy we never even received ourselves. Help us to leave a legacy by being open and vulnerable now, by being connected to community now by receiving the Abishai's in our life now. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? Well, my birthday is June the 17th, but my spiritual birthday is the week before Easter, 1971, when I prayed with an African-American counselor in a junior high school. That day, I was born again. The old Jacob died. I became a new creation. I was raised from the dead. Yes, I was still living in my mama's bar. Yes, I still had struggles in my life, but I was never the same from that day. Never. Never. 
My sins were forgiven. I came into a relationship with God. Christ was living in me through the power of the Holy Spirit. My sins were forgiven. My name was written in a book called the Book of Life. I was born again. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, I've been Christian, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, you must be born again. You say, Pastor, how can I become born again? It's as easy as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer and that he died for your sin so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. Somebody's going to die for your sin. Either you will or he did. And see, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin through repentance to be born again. Now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to count to three in just a moment. On the count of three, if you've never prayed to be born again and today you want to be your spiritual birthday, your new beginning, you want a relationship with God, you want to know Him, you want the power to turn away from the sin that's choked you and controlled you, Now, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and I want to pray for you right where you are to be born again. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm the only one that's looking. I'm just asking you to raise your hand up real high and put it back down. One, God brought you here. Nothing is ever an accident. Two, every moment of your life has led to this moment. It's led to this moment. That's why you feel the way you do right now. You are. Today's your day to pray to be born again, to know God be free and if that's you on the count of three I I want you to raise your hand three that's you raise your hand yes I see your hand yes 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 I see yes I see your hand yes yes you can put your hands down the last time I'm going to ask pastor I didn't raise my hand but I should have my heart's about to beat out of my chest I know God is talking to me I've never prayed to be born again it's what I need I know I want to know God I want to be free to know him I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. If that's you, raise it high right now and wave it at me. I'm asking this last time just for you. Just for you. Wave it at me right now. Just for you. Yes, I see that. I see it. Okay. Now, church, let's pray out loud with all of those that raise their hand to be born again today. Would you pray out loud with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame and you died for it I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go and you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven a purpose on earth and a relationship with your father today Lord Jesus I turn away from sin to be born again today God is my father Jesus is my savior and I'm born again in Jesus name Amen